Chapter Eight of a Sicilian Romance by Anne Radcliffe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. About a quarter of a league from the walls, we stopped, and I assumed the habit in which you see me now. My own dress was fastened to some heavy stones, and Caterina threw it into the stream near the almond grove, whose murmurings you have so often admired. The fatigue and hardship I endured in this journey, performed almost wholly on foot, at any other time would have overcome me, but my mind was so occupied by the danger I was avoiding, that these lesser evils were disregarded. We arrived in safety at the cottage, which stood at a little distance from the village of Farini, and were received by Caterina's parents with some surprise and more kindness. I soon perceived it would be useless, and even dangerous, to attempt to preserve the character I personated. In the eyes of Caterina's mother I read a degree of surprise and admiration which declared she believed me to be of superior rank. I therefore thought it more prudent to win her fidelity by entrusting her with my secret than by endeavouring to conceal it, leave it to be discovered by her curiosity or discernment. Accordingly, I made known my quality and my distress, and received strong assurances of assistance and attachment. For further security, I removed to this sequestered spot. The cottage we are now in belongs to a sister of Caterina, upon whose faithfulness I have been hitherto fully justified in relying. But I am not even here secure from apprehension, since for several days past horsemen of a suspicious appearance have been observed near Marcy, which is only half a league from here. Here Julia closed her narration, to which Madame had listened with a mixture of surprise and pity, which her eyes sufficiently discovered. The last circumstance of the narrative seriously alarmed her. She acquainted Julia with the pursuit which the Duke had undertaken, and she did not hesitate to believe it a party of her people whom Julia had described. Madame, therefore, earnestly advised her to quit her present situation, and to accompany her in disguise to the monastery of St. Augustine, where she would find a secure retreat, because, even if her place of refuge should be discovered, the superior authority of the church would protect her. Julia accepted the proposal with much joy, as it was necessary that Madame should sleep at the village where she had left her servants and horses, it was agreed that at break of day she should return to the cottage where Julia would await her. Madame took all affectionate leave of Julia, whose heart, in spite of reason, sunk when she saw her depart, though but for the necessary interval of repose. At the dawn of day Madame arose. Her servants, who were hired for the journey, were strangers to Julia, from them, therefore, she had nothing to apprehend. She reached the cottage before sunrise, having left her people at some little distance. Her heart foreboded evil when, on knocking at the door, no answer was returned. She knocked again, and still all was silent. Through the casement she could discover no object amidst the gray obscurity of the dawn. She now opened the door, and to her inexpressible surprise and distress, found the cottage empty. She proceeded to a small inner room where lay a part of Julia's apparel. The bed had no appearance of having been slept in, 
and every moment served to heighten and confirm her apprehensions. While she pursued the search, she suddenly heard the trampling of feet at the cottage door, and presently after some people entered. Her fears for Julia now yielded to those for her own safety, and she was undetermined whether to discover herself or remain in her present situation, when she was relieved from her irresolution by the appearance of Julia. On the return of the good woman, who had accompanied Madame to the village on the preceding night, Julia went to the cottage at Farini. Her grateful heart would not suffer her to depart without taking leave of her faithful friends, thanking them for their kindness, and informing them of her future prospects. They had prevailed upon her to spend the few intervening hours at this cot, whence she had just risen to meet Madame. They now hastened to the spot where the horses were stationed, and commenced their journey. For some leagues they traveled in silence and thought over a wild and picturesque country. The landscape was tinted with rich and variegated hues, and the autumnal lights which streamed upon the hills produced a spirited and beautiful effect upon the scenery. All the glories of the vintage rose to their view. The purple grapes flushed through the dark green of the surrounding foliage, and the prospect glowed with luxuriance. They now descended into a deep valley, which appeared more like a scene of airy enchantment than reality. Along the bottom flowed a clear majestic stream, whose banks were adorned with thick groves of orange and citron trees. Julia surveyed the scene in silent complacency, but her eye quickly caught an object which changed with instantaneous shock the tone of her feelings. She observed a party of horsemen winding down the side of a hill behind her. Their uncommon speed alarmed her, and she pushed her horse into a gallop. On looking back, Madame de Menon clearly perceived they were in pursuit. Soon after, the men suddenly appeared from behind a dark grove within a small distance of them, and, upon their nearer approach, Julia, overcome with fatigue and fear, sunk breathless from her horse. She was saved from the ground by one of the pursuers who caught her in his arms. Madame, with the rest of the party, were quickly overtaken, and as soon as Julia revived they were bound and reconducted to the hill from whence they had descended. Imagination only can paint the anguish of Julia's mind when she saw herself thus delivered up to the power of her enemy. Madame, in the surrounding troop, discovered none of the Marquis's people, and they were, therefore, evidently in the hands of the Duke. After travelling for some hours they quitted the main road, and turned into a narrow winding dell, overshadowed by high trees which almost excluded the light. The gloom of the place inspired terrific images. Julia trembled as she entered, and her emotion was heightened, when she perceived at some distance, through the long perspective of the trees, a large ruinous mansion. The gloom of the surrounding shades partly concealed it from her view, but, as she drew near, each forlorn and decaying feature of the fabric was gradually disclosed, and struck upon her heart a horror such as she had never before experienced. The broken battlements enwreathed with ivy proclaimed the fallen grandeur of the place, while the shattered vacant window-frames exhibited its desolation, and the high grass that overgrew the threshold seemed to say how long it was 
since mortal foot had entered. The place appeared fit only for the purposes of violence and destruction, and the fortunate captives, when they stopped at its gates, felt the full force of its horrors. They were taken from their horses and conveyed to an interior part of the building, which, if it had once been a chamber, no longer deserved the name. Here the guard said they were directed to detain them till the arrival of their lord, who had appointed this the place of rendezvous. He was expected to meet them in a few hours, and these were hours of indescribable torture to Julia and Madame. From the furious passions of the duke, exasperated by frequent disappointment, Julia had every evil to apprehend, and the loneliness of the spot he had chosen enabled him to perpetuate any designs, however violent. For the first time she repented that she had left her father's house. Madame wept over her, but comfort she had none to give. The day closed, the duke did not appear, and the fate of Julia yet hung in perilous uncertainty. At length, from a window of the apartment she was in, she distinguished a glimmering of torches among the trees, and presently, after the clattering of hoofs, convinced her the duke was approaching. Her heart sunk at the sound, and throwing her arms round Madame's neck, she resigned herself to despair. She was soon roused by some men who came to announce the arrival of their lord. In a few moments the place, which had lately been so silent, echoed with tumult, and a sudden blaze of light illuminating the fabric served to exhibit more forcibly its striking horrors. Julia ran to the window, and in a sort of court below perceived a group of men dismounting from their horses. The torches shed a partial light, and while she anxiously looked around for the person of the duke, the whole party entered the mansion. She listened to a confused uproar of voices, which sounded from the room beneath, and soon after it sunk into a low murmur, as if some matter of importance was in agitation. For some moments she sat in lingering terror when she heard footsteps advancing towards the chamber, and a sudden gleam of torchlight flashed upon the walls. "'Wretched girl, I have at last secured you,' said a cavalier who now entered the room. He stopped as he perceived Julia, and turning to the men who stood without, "'Are these,' said he, "'the fugitives you have taken?' "'Yes, my lord.' "'Then you have deceived yourselves and misled me. This is not my daughter.' These words struck the sudden light of truth and joy upon the heart of Julia, whom terror had before rendered almost lifeless, and who had not perceived that the person entering was a stranger. Madame now stepped forward, and an explanation ensued, when it appeared that the stranger was the Marquis Morani, the father of the fair fugitive whom the Duke had before mistaken for Julia. The appearance and the evident flight of Julia had deceived the banditti employed by this nobleman into a belief that she was the object of their search, and had occasioned her this unnecessary distress. But the joy she now felt on finding herself thus unexpectedly at liberty surpassed, if possible, her preceding terrors. The Marquis made Madame and Julia all the reparation in his power by offering immediately to reconduct them to the main road, and to guard them to some place of safety for the night. 
This offer was eagerly and thankfully accepted, and though faint from distress, fatigue, and want of sustenance, they joyfully remounted their horses, and by torchlight quitted the mansion. After some hours' traveling they arrived at a small town, where they procured the accommodations so necessary to their support and repose. Here their guides quitted them to continue their search. They arose from the dawn and continued their journey, continually terrified with the apprehension of encountering the duke's people. At noon they arrived at Azulia, from whence the monastery or abbey of St. Augustine was distant only a few miles. Madame wrote to the Padre Abate, to whom she was somewhat related, and soon after received an answer very favorable to her wishes. The same evening they repaired to the abbey, where Julia, once more relieved from the fear of pursuit, offered up a prayer of gratitude to heaven, and endeavored to calm her sorrows by devotion. She was received by the abbot with a sort of paternal affection, and by the nuns with officious kindness. Comforted by these circumstances, and by the tranquil appearance of everything around her, she retired to rest and passed the night in peaceful slumbers. In her present situation she found much novelty to amuse, and much serious matter to interest her mind. Untendered by distress, she easily yielded to the pensive manners of her companions, and to the serene uniformity of a monastic life. She loved to wander through the lonely cloisters and high-arched aisles, whose long perspectives retired in simple grandeur, diffusing a holy calm around. She found much pleasure in the conversation of the nuns, many of whom were uncommonly amiable, and the dignified sweetness of whose manners formed a charm irresistibly attractive. The soft melancholy impressed upon their countenances portrayed the situation of their minds, and excited in Julia a very interesting mixture of pity and esteem. The affectionate appellation of sister, and all that endearing tenderness which they so well know how to display, and of which they so well understand and effect, they bestowed on Julia, in the hope of winning her to become one of their order. Soothed by the presence of Madame, the assiduity of the nuns, and by the stillness and sanctity of the place, her mind gradually recovered a degree of complacency to which it had long been a stranger. But notwithstanding all her efforts, the idea of Hippolytus would at intervals return upon her memory with a force that at once subdued her fortitude and sunk her in her temporary despair. Among the holy sisters Julia distinguished one, the singular fervor of whose devotion and the pensive air of whose countenance, softened by the languor of illness, attracted her curiosity and excited a strong degree of pity. The nun, by a sort of sympathy, seemed particularly inclined towards Julia, which she discovered by innumerable acts of kindness, such as the heart can quickly understand and acknowledge, although description can never reach them. In conversation with her, Julia endeavored, as far as delicacy would permit, to prompt an explanation of that more than common dejection which shaded those features, where beauty, touched by resignation and sublimed by religion, shone forth with mild and lambent luster. The Duke de Leovo, after having been detained for some weeks by the fever which his wounds had procured, 
and his irritated passions had much prolonged, arrived at the castle of Mazzini. When the marquis saw him return, and recollected the futility of those exertions by which he had boastingly promised to recover Julia, the violence of his nature spurned the disguise of art, and burst forth in contemptuous impeachment of the valor and discernment of the duke, who soon retorted with equal fury. The consequence might have been fatal, had not the ambition of the marquis subdued the sudden irritation of his inferior passions, and induced him to soften the severity of his accusations by subsequent concessions. The duke, whose passion for Julia was heightened by the difficulty which opposed it, admitted such concessions as in other circumstances he would have rejected, and thus each, conquered by the predominant passion of the moment, submitted to be the slave of his adversary. Amelia was at length released from the confinement she had so unjustly suffered. She had now the use of her old apartments, where, solitary and dejected, her hours moved heavily along, embittered by incessant anxiety for Julia, by regret for the lost society of Madame. The Marchioness, whose pleasures suffered a temporary suspense during the present confusion at the castle, exercised the ill-humored caprice which disappointment and lassitude inspired upon her remaining subject. Amelia was condemned to suffer and to endure without the privilege of complaining. In reviewing the events of the last few weeks, she saw those most dear to her banished or imprisoned by the secret influence of a woman, every feature of whose character was exactly opposite to that of the amiable mother she had been appointed to succeed. The search after Julia still continued and was still unsuccessful. The astonishment of the Marquis increased with his disappointments, for where could Julia, ignorant of the country and destitute of friends, have possibly found an asylum? He swore with a terrible oath to revenge on her head whenever she should be found, the trouble and vexation she now caused him. But he agreed with the Duke to relinquish for a while the search, till Julia, gaining confidence from the observation of this circumstance, might gradually suppose herself secure from molestation, and thus be induced to emerge from concealment. End of chapter 8